Okay. Now I can preach. Hallelujah. Let's thank our team. Come on. Please be seated. Even at home, if that song brought you to your feet, please be seated. I want to say today, not just welcome to church, but welcome to his table. Sometimes we think that the table of the Lord is only about communion, but that's not so. The table of the Lord is when we gather and receive from him the word. The word not only washes us, the word not only cleanses us, the word not only instructs us, corrects us, protects us, but the word feeds us. As a matter of fact, I take very, very seriously what Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs. I want you to know writing a sermon for me is not about writing a sermon, it's about loving Jesus. Because he said, if you love me, you will feed my lambs. And what I'm doing in my office all week is loving Jesus as I prepare a message that will feed his lambs. And so Jesus and I have been preparing this message all week. And my heart's desire is that it would feed you Because if it does, it helps express my love for Jesus. So welcome to the table. You've not just come to church, you've come to the Father's table. And you're going to eat today. And the Holy Spirit is here. And we're going to feast on his word and the life that is in it. And I pray and believe that there's something on the table today that will change and transform each and every one of us. I pray that. I believe, because that's the power of God's word. That's the power of it. So would you reach your hand out towards me, please? Father, I thank you for the word today that has the power to change everything in our life. And I pray now, Father, that I could bring this word, that we would see Jesus, not a preacher, and that we would feast at his table. I ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. Fearless creating a courage culture. And lately, we've been talking specifically about a fearless church. A fearless church. We've been talking about a fearless church that's creating a courage culture. Last week, we said that a fearless church is not afraid to follow Jesus. And we talked about how that many times the only real request that's given to us in the Western world is that we believe in Jesus. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not just believing Jesus. It's following Jesus. We said that believing in Jesus may change my life. Well, it does change my life. But following Jesus changes my world It changes my world and the world around me. Following Jesus changes my marriage, my ministry, and my motives, and my meaning in life. Not just believing Jesus, but following Jesus. Followers of Christ are not just believing Jesus, but being Jesus. 
being Jesus in my marriage, being Jesus in my ministry, being Jesus in my neighborhood. Followers of Christ not only believe in Jesus, but behave like Jesus. And who cares what we believe in? I mean it. You think your neighbor cares what you believe in? My neighbors only care what I behave like. Jesus said this in John chapter 10 and verse 27. I love the, listen to the tenderness. Listen to the intimacy. Listen to the relationship in these words of Jesus in this verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Isn't there a, isn't there a, isn't there a softness, a, a warmth, a relationship, a, a beauty? I just love the atmosphere of, that these words of Jesus give my heart and give my soul. My sheep hear my voice. You know why they hear their voice? Because they're close. And he's not shouting. His sheep hear his voice even when he's whispering. Why? Why? Because they follow him. If you're near him, I know them. And they follow me. I'm following. I can hear his voice. And then he says in 12, John 12, verse 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll substitute serving him for following him. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, that where I am, there my servant will be also. Why? Because Jesus is following me? No, because I am following him. And he said, and where I am, there my servant will also be. Followers of Christ hear his voice and follow him. And where he is, they are. And as he is, they are. First John chapter 4, verse 17. John said, love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because, this, the because is, this is why we have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, not only where he is. As he is, so are we in this world. The New Living Translation says, because we live like Jesus here in this current culture, here in this world. The Good News Bible says, because our life in this city is the same as Christ's. We're talking about being Jesus, not just believing Jesus. Now, in Acts chapter 11 and verse 25, we read that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Antioch. 
So like from Jerusalem, straight up north, keep going, and you get into Syria, 1,100 kilometers from Jerusalem, and you have Antioch. And Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And there, the followers of Christ were first called Christians. You see, the disciples did not call themselves Christians. The city, the city, the people of the city called them Christians. And one of the translations of the word Christian is little Christ. Many me's. Smaller versions of the anointed ones. Little Messiahs, little Christ. They did not, the disciples did not call themselves that. The citizens of the city called them that. The followers of Jesus in Antioch followed him to the point that they were mistaken for him. Is that Jesus? No. No, that's Barnabas. Is that Jesus? No, no, that's Matthew. As a matter of fact, Scholars believe Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew in Antioch. Is that Jesus? No, 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 no. That's Byron. Is that Christ? No, that's Phoebe. That's Priscilla. That's Chloe. Wow. I've never met Christ, but I've met you. Jesus never asked anyone to become a Christian. But he did ask many to become a follower. And when Paul wrote to the Macedonian church in Philippi, Paul said this, Become blameless and harmless. Become blameless and harmless children of God without fault, right smack dab in the middle, right there in the midst of, right um, spot on, right. Be blameless and harmless and without fault, right in the midst of a crooked culture, right in the midst of a perverse generation. Among whom? Right among, among, not separated, not in a cave, not pushing, holding, finding ourselves some little sanctuary. No, among whom you shine as lights in this world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And the apostle Paul said, be harmless and blameless without fault, shining right in the middle of the world as lights. The New Living Translation reads it this way. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, if that were the case in Philippi and throughout all of Macedonia, I wonder what Paul would write to the church today. Of course, he has written to the church today. As followers of Christ, we do not see the world as our foe. We see it as our field. Yeah. 
I said last week, this current culture is not our enemy. It's our embassy. And we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ sent to live right in the midst of it. We are not here to judge it or condemn it. We are here to shine the light and the love of God in it. So, how do we shine? How do we live? You know, as a Christian, how do I know what's, you know, right and wrong? Where, where are the lines? How do I know? Is it okay to drink alcohol? And if it is, how much? How many beers are too many? Is it okay to watch something on Netflix with lots of swearing and sex and nudity? Where's the line? How do I know? Is something, a program like the Game of Thrones, is that permissible or pornography? Is it okay to go out clubbing? Is it okay to wear this dress that's low cut and high up? I don't mean this dress. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have a dress. <laughs> but where are the lines? Is heavy petting permissible? Or sex outside of marriage okay if we're in love? Is it okay for Christians to play the lotto? What about swearing? How do I know, as a Christ follower, what's okay and what's not okay? It's, it's, like, it's like we're in the Old Testament where there are 613 laws that tell us exactly what's okay and what's not okay. Laws about everything, sex, hygiene, clothing, haircuts, divorce, tattoos. Actually, this week, whether you believe it or not, I went through the entire list of the 613 laws. No joke. I, I'm telling you, there are laws about food, feasts, family, farming, finances, fibbing, fashion, fat, the flow in females, the firstborn, flat roofs, fraud, falsehoods, and that's just the F words. And it's like, we're trying to find the 613 laws in the New Testament to know what's acceptable and what's not. But all of those laws were for the covenant that God made with Israel. The Old Testament was a covenant with a nation. And when the nation obeyed, the people were blessed. When the nation disobeyed, the people were not blessed. The new covenant is not made with a nation. It's made with a person. And as New Testament followers of Christ, we get into trouble when we try to mix the two covenants. The Old Testament is the inspired word of God and the foundation for our Christianity. But the New Testament is our application and the revelation of how we live our life in Jesus. 
The Old Testament is not our covenant. We read in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. Everybody say shadow. It was a shadow. What? A dim preview of the good things, the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The Old Testament is the shadow. The New Testament is the sunshine. Live your life in the sunshine, not in the shadow. So what makes the Old Covenant old? Well, Hebrews 8.13 from the Old King James Version. In that he saith a new covenant. He hath made the first, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now let me read it from the New King James Version. In that he says a new covenant. He has made the first. Obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete. Is growing old. And is ready. To vanish. Let me read it one more time from a modern translation. The New Living. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. We understand the Apostle John in chapter 1, verse 17, wrote this. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses is our mentor. Moses is our model in meekness, but Moses is not our Savior, nor are the 613 laws. And it's really interesting that when Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration with three of the disciples, that there his garments shined and heaven came down and all of a sudden standing next to Jesus was Moses and Elijah. The law and the prophets were standing next. Everything that represented the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, and Jesus is standing there. And what, do, what does Peter say? He says, hot diggity dang who could have a better, whoa. He said, let's build three tabernacles, one for the law, one for the prophets, and one for Jesus. And God audibly overshadows and says, this is my son, hear him. So, back to my question. How do I shine in this world, how do I live as a Christ follower? Where are the New Testament regulations 
that show me what's okay and what's not okay, that show me what I should do or what I could do. The answer to this question is going to fix everything that is wrong in our lives. The answer to this question is going to radically change our church and our community. And so let's answer this question. John chapter 13. This is the last night of Jesus before the cross. The last acts of Jesus before the cross. The last words of Jesus before the cross. They're in an upper room. Verse 2 says this. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel that he had around him. This is how the evening began. Verse 12. By the way, probably an hour towards 12 stinky old dirty feet and dry them with the towel, I'm guessing. That's 24 feet. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, sat down, and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. One of the disciples whose feet he washed had already betrayed him and probably the silver coins in his pocket could be heard while Jesus was 30 pieces of silver. And in a few hours, he would lead the mob that would arrest Jesus. Yeah. One of the disciples whose feet he washed, would we, he would, in just hours, he would deny him and swear and swear to God that he never knew him. All of the disciples' feet who he washed would abandon him and forsake him that very evening. 
And then they have supper. His last supper. And here he initiates the new covenant. Matthew describes it for us. Matthew 26, verse 27. He took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, and said, or saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood in the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sin. The old covenant was also a covenant in blood. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats, the blood of sheep, the blood of animals, the blood of doves. That was the old covenant. Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, my blood, my blood, of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That evening changed all of history and all of the world. And then he gives them a new commandment. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you. A new commandment for a new covenant. And by the way, this isn't commandment 614 from the 614. 13, no, this is commandment one. As a matter of fact, it's commandment the only one. And he gives them a new commandment, that you love one another. Wait, what? That's not new. (laughs) That's not new. We got that in in most, as a matter of fact, don't you remember Jesus? The lawyer comes to you and he asks you, uh, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? What's the greatest of the 613? Don't you remember? And Jesus answered love. He said, love the Lord your God. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule. The golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love. Love. Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, Jesus said, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. This fulfills the other 611. So, what is this new commandment in the new covenant, and how is it new to love one another? Five words. Five words that send this new covenant commandment into the stratosphere. As I have loved you. Not as you would have others do unto you. That was so old covenant. That's so golden. This is all, this is the platinum. As I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved 
you. And they had just seen a demonstration. Their feet were still damp from the as I have loved you kind of love an hour before. But they were about to see a demonstration that would change their lives and the world forever. As he carried his cross to Calvary's hill. This is what, as I have loved you, means. And so now, every follower of Christ has only one question to answer. To know how to live. What does love require of me? What does his love for me require of me for you? For my city, for my community. How powerful is this? How impactful is this? How much of a game changer is this? Jesus says himself the very next words out of his mouth. And he says this, by this, all, all will know that you're my disciples. How will they all know that we're his disciples? Because we believe in him? No, no, because we love as he has loved us. Not by how we believe, but by how we love. This is how the early Christians toppled the Roman Empire with all its paganism and depravity and violence and madness. They were blameless. They were harmless. They were without fault. And they overcame the Roman Empire, not with a lance, but with love. And it fell, and the church of Jesus Christ has continued to go and grow. This is the answer to your marriage. Your money. Your morality. Your mortality. The answer to your marriage, your money, your morality, and your mortality is the answer to this question. What does love require of me? Pastor, my marriage is in trouble. What does love require of you? Pastor, my finances are in trouble. Pastor, I'm not sure of my morality. I'm not sure. Pa what does love require of me? It is no longer, well, what's wrong with, uh, 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 how come I, I can't, uh, 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 but what about, uh, 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 why is such a bad, why is bad? Uh, there's only one question, and that one question is the question that will answer every question. This is how followers of Christ pick up their cross every day. Have you ever wondered, what does it mean when Jesus said, follow me, pick up your cross and follow me? I'm going, oh, what do 
my God, we, it has to be a metaphor, right? You know, the only cross maybe around my neck. Is that what I pick? Is, oh, I know what he means. He means wear a cross on my neck. Is, what does that mean? You know, if you follow me, truly follow me. What does it mean to truly follow me? It means to pick up your cross. I want you to know that the answer, here's how you pick up your cross every day as a Christian. Today, in my marriage, today, in my ministry, at work, at the office, wherever I go, today, my neighbor, what does love require of me? Because it was on the cross that Jesus demonstrated his love, and it's on the cross that you demonstrate your love. I'm going to ask every head to bow, every eye to close. Thank you, team, for coming. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new commandment in the new covenant. That you love one another as I have loved, as I have loved you. And by this, all the world will know that you're my disciples. As a totally committed follower of Christ, this is the question I ask. What does love require of me? Here's the problem. Here's the situation. Here's the teenager. Here's the business. Here's the situation. Here's the bullying. Here's a here's, here's hundred things. Here's the bitterness. Here's the offense. Here's the life, 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 life. What does love require of me? And that is how we follow Christ. And that is what makes a city call us Christians. Welcome, Holy Spirit, right now as we finish this meal together. As we sit around your table and as the bread of life, the word of God, the manna from heaven has been prepared, we've eaten, we've partaken. Now, Lord, let this word become a part of my life. Let this word be the game changer for me. It's so simple. It's not easy. It's so simple. It's not easy. It's so simple. It's not easy. But it is so simple. What does love require of me? Would you please stand? please recommit your life to Jesus afresh right now? Would you do it? I could call you forward and ask you to do it. But how many would do it right where you stand right now? How many right now would recommit? Thank you. How many right now all over the building would just recommit your life? How many right now would take this word and it now becomes a foundation for you to stand and build, to build your family, to build your life, to build your future? 
to build your, to live your life. This becomes the foundation. This becomes the answer. This becomes your platform to follow Christ. I see hands everywhere, all over the building, and I wonder even at home right now, would you also recommit your life to Jesus? Would you recommit your life to Jesus as a follower, not just a believer? as one who behaves like Jesus, not just believes in Jesus. And what the most behaving like Jesus you can do is to love like he loves. And to love like he loves is the answer to a lost world, to a crazy culture, to a broken marriage. Heavenly Father, I raise my hand too. Let your word not only feed us now, but let it wash us. Jesus, I feel like you're washing our feet right now. I feel like you've taken off your robe and put on a towel and you're coming along each one of us right now and your word is washing us. Your word, you told, you told Peter, my word is, you're clean by my word. Your word is cleansing us right now. I'm so grateful that I do not live under the law of the Old Testament. I'm so grateful I live under the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace and grace and truth and truth and grace, not law and condemnation and death. Help me every day to pick up this cross that simply is asking this question. Picking up the cross is asking this question. What does love require of me? Amen. Jesus.